writing retreat in rural Kentucky at the abbey of the famous Catholic uh, contemplative and spiritual writer Thomas Merton. So Merton's lifelong home was the abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. And uh, I, as a, as a student of Merton, really uh, someone who's made a profound impact on my life, um, had made that into something of a pilgrimage. So I traveled out to Kentucky for this writing retreat. And, you know, as a, as a professional speaker and writer and thinker, writing retreats are my bread and butter. Like, that's how I, that's how I get by. You know, I, I, I sit down every week working on sermons, but I have to carve out intentional time to do preparations. Any, uh, any school teachers here? Did you write lesson planning time, right? You, you really need to sit down and carve out some time to make sure that you're aware of the trajectory of how your time's going to be spent. So for me, uh, you know, writing retreats are really important, and I thought the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky, perfect place to do it. Uh, so I get there, and I had everything I needed. You know, I had all these books. I had a, a whole separate bag of books, and I brought my books. I had a little tiny hermitage at the Abbey, and I, like, walked in. I even brought my, this is, like, ridiculous, but I, when I do writing retreats, I bring, like, my own box of candles, and I, like, set little candles up and just turn this into, like, a little vigil place. Um, I brought a bunch of food, and I was just prepared to hunker down and do all this work, um, there's a little tiny desk in this office, and I kind of, the desk overlooked the, the monastic grounds, and you could see little Trappist monks. Trappist monks have a, a vow of silence, so they don't, they don't talk, and they're just kind of quietly moving about their day. Perfect place for writing a treat, right? And uh, I'm here, hold away in my hermitage, ready to just crank out some dynamite sermons. And there's a, there's a little Bible on my, on my desk, and uh, outside of the Bible is just sticking a little piece of paper like that. I go over to the desk and I look at the Bible and I open up the inside of the jacket and I see the piece of paper is a letter. And it says this, Dear Pilgrim, that's me, I hope you find peace during your time. I hope you find comfort during your stay. I hope you find inspiration in the words and the songs and the readings of our daily office. But most of all, I hope you find Christ. Or were you looking for something else? That one got me. The, the sermons over the next 10 weeks come from a section in the Gospel of Luke that's often called the, the travel dialogues or the travel narratives. It's about 10 chapters from Luke 9 to about Luke 20 where this story is unfolding on multiple levels where people are talking about discipleship while literally following Jesus. As this story began, you know, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and they're walking that way. And people are learning what it means to follow Jesus while literally following, having these conversations. You know, the central theme to these texts is discipleship. But as modern Christians, do we think about discipleship at all, really? Discipleship means being a follower of Jesus. 
It, it, it means, in the words of the monk, finding the Christ. I think the ancient church would find it almost inconceivable that discipleship has fallen off of our radar, our daily practice of spirituality and religion. For us, church is often about those things that we are most concerned with, the things that interest us most, the things that make us feel most comfortable, most inspired. Now, don't mishear me. I hope you encounter comfort when you feel weak and afraid. I hope you experience insight and inspiration when it is most needed. But most of all, I hope you find Christ. You know, the texts over the next few weeks remind us that your faith and your Christian life cannot be solely composed of what happens here on a Sunday morning from 10 to 11, 10 a.m. When it comes to following Jesus, we have to listen and then we have to act. I think we are pretty good at the listening part. But when it comes to our Christian life, when it comes to our discipleship, what does action look like for us? You know, the, the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. You know how many times the word Christian shows up? Three. We're very concerned with being Christian, or at least making sure other people know that we're Christian. It's a part of our tradition in our life. Do we have a concern that we are seen as followers of Jesus? Discipleship means following Jesus, and the New Testament is a book about discipleship. It is written by disciples for disciples, and it is about discipleship. To try to read passages in the Bible not through that lens is to miss the context entirely. The Bible, the New Testament, and most of the stories we tell are not meant to be tiny little doses of inspiration that we can carry with for a couple of days when most needed. They're outlines for a life of living. They are meant to be pathways of action. They're meant to be frustrating and challenging in a formative way that they would refine and give us shape. Here's the catch, though. I think we have often made discipleship into something that it really was never meant to be. And when you encounter passages like the one that we're studying today, I think the truth is, is that these are most often things that I just wish Jesus didn't say. Did you hear the text that was read? Three would-be followers of Jesus, interested in this whole Christian thing. The first one says to Jesus, Jesus, I've seen your, your work. Very good. I'd love to be a follower. Jesus says, are you aware that foxes have dens and birds have nests? Most animals have comfortable places to retire to. But the human one, me, is always on the move. I do not have a place to rest my head. I imagine this conversation while the would-be follower is literally like hanging out of his condo, 
just like, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus responds, and give up your comforts. The second one, Jesus, I I would love to follow you, but first let me bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Scoring aces on pastoral care there. The second one says, Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but first let me just say goodbye. And Jesus says, what a sign that you're not ready to be my follower. Anyone who's willing to look back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Damn. I want to take a moment to just look at that second would-be follower and try to bring a deeper awareness, uh, wrestle with it a little bit. Let's think about this again. Someone approaches Jesus and says, Jesus, I've seen your work. It's amazing. I'd love to be one of your followers too. I've seen those other 12 guys moving along, being your followers. I want to be one of them. Count me as a member of this church. First, however, my father recently died. Give me a little bit of time to go bury my father, and then I'll pack up and I'll be on my way. Again, in a church where it's common for us to practice the rite and the ritual of funerals, If I were to say to you, let the dead bury the dead, you will call the bishop. (laughs) I'd be out of a job. Consider what else might be going on here. A burial, even burials we have today, are never short and sweet. They are complicated. They have to be planned, prepared for, purchased executed. It is a multi-day event now and more so in ancient Jewish traditions of the first century. This is not just a short, I'll be right back in 30. It was an extravagant use of money. It was complicated likely meaning that this man would still carry baggage from, oh, oh boy, the funeral, well after the funeral ended. It would be kicking up family tensions once more. It would be this complicated and somewhat confusing religious ritual from people who maybe don't practice the religious rituals any other time, but feel indebted to doing it now. And perhaps, maybe more than anything, one element we miss often. A man is telling us that his father died. And he's being summoned to continue the lineage of patriarchy here. Who will be responsible for the household? Who will oversee the slaves? How will the women possibly know what to do? Who will keep things the way they've always been? And to all of this, Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You have been called to the living, 
time and time again Jesus is concerned with the present now not that we should shame throw away the past but for the human one who lives and walks and suffers amongst everyone else the call of the gospel is to experience freedom and good news now not on delay I'll tell you after I take care of some other things. It's as if Jesus has an insight that many of the ancient religious tr traditions were very well aware of, that even the simplest, the simplest of excuses would prevent us from getting to where we wanted to go. Uh, that, that sounds great, but first, Jesus asks us to follow now in other texts, drop what you are doing. When we encounter difficult texts like this one, there is a tendency to speed up and move along quickly. There is a tendency to say, that, that was then. It, that was when Jesus was cranky in the mornings. It was some odd stuff written down. But as disciples, as those who have taken on the name of followers of Jesus, we ought to do the hard work of slowing down and looking at this from all sides and considering how it impacts our life today, I think when we slow down, we might recognize that in this, maybe even after so many years, we may not be so certain that following Jesus is what we always want to do. Consider what following Jesus might mean for us. Following Jesus may very well put you up against the law. Following Jesus may put you up against culture, the way that other people see and support culture. Following Jesus may put you against family. Anyone familiar with religious tension in families? Following Jesus may put you up against yourself. And your ego and your comforts and your traditions and your weekly need for inspirations. Discipleship is about following Jesus, but it is concerned with the now, today. What are you going to do today? Now, hear me. Boy, I hope that in following Jesus, you experience comfort. I hope that in the time and the space we share together and in the studying of the scriptures, you find inspiration. But more than anything else, I hope that you find Christ. Or, or is there something else you're looking for? It may be in the end that that it is often not God that we serve, but our own interests. We are followers all too often of ourselves, the paths we want to go, the way we want things to be. 
Over the next several weeks, I'm going to invite you to join me in a journey of attempting, however fledgingly, to follow Jesus. And this is going to be frustrating, as it should be. The texts, time and time again, are going to be things that I just didn't, I wish Jesus didn't say. They're going to invite us to consider things like our enemies. Consider how we use money. Consider where we place our greatest level of importance in our life, in our traditions, in our families, in ourselves. I hope it provides a good dose of inspiration. I hope it, it, it comforts you and makes you feel like, oh, wow, this, this is just really meaningful to me. But most of all, I hope it invites you to find Christ again and again and again and again and again. We can call that discipleship.